challenge you in your own life and in the lives of your families as well. You can see the banners up behind me, and you'll see our theme for 2024, where the people had a mind to work. So take your Bibles and join me in Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 6, and then we'll look at chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. This is not the normal expository message that I would normally preach on a Sunday morning by its nature, this is more of a topical thing as we set the vision for Green Baptist Church uh, headed into 2024. As you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 4, understand this, that the walls of Jerusalem had been in disrepair for over a hundred years. It's amazing that within 52 days, this problem was rectified. The walls were rebuilt. So then the question is, why were they not rebuilt sometime in the past hundred years? And certainly the people saw the need. Certainly the people were living in reproach. That was Hananiah, Nehemiah's brother. It was his report to him. The people are in reproach. The walls are still burned with fire. So the people were in reproach. They were in a difficult way. The walls have been broken down for over a hundred years. There were people, I'm sure, that saw it, that wished for it, but there was nobody and it had the courage to stand up and do something about it until Nehemiah came along. I understand that Nehemiah had a passion for the glory of God. He was desiring that the people would have a safe place to worship the one true God. You remember that the temple at Jerusalem was the one place of worship of Jehovah God in, in all the world. And the people from all over the world would come there to worship Jehovah God. And, and, and they were in the process of rebuilding and finishing the temple. These people had come back from the exiles. And yet the walls were still broken down. The people were still in a reproach. Somebody said that finally there came a man who did more than just wish Jerusalem had walls. He grieved. He ached. He prayed. He planned. He asked boldly. He went. He fought. He encouraged. He stood strong. He saw the job through to completion. But he also had people around him with the same kind of heart. It would have been impossible for Nehemiah and his servants, his entourage, to rebuild those walls themselves, at least not within any amount of reasonable time. But what Nehemiah did was because he realized, hey, God has divinely placed me even in this exile in a position where I am the king's cupbearer. He was an intimate acquaintance of the king. And God, when, he, when, when, when Nehemiah heard the news of what had happened, what was happening at Jerusalem, he was burdened and he fasted and he mourned and he prayed. And I think while he prayed, he also planned. And one day God gave him an opportunity. He went before the king's presence, so overwhelmed with his burden that his countenance was sad. And you didn't do that in the presence of a king. You could lo literally lose your life for being sad in the presence of the king. The king was his friend, and the king says, why is your countenance so sad? And of course, Nehemiah relates his burden. And then the king says, well, what do you want? Uh, set me a time and set me, tell me what you want. What do you need to rebuild these walls? And so he, he prayed a flare prayer to heaven. He said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I believe it, it was just quick. Lord, help me. Lord, all these things that I've been asking for, help me to remember these things and bring to my memory maybe those things that I haven't thought about yet. And he asked of the king, he asked for letters of authority. He asked for letters of conscription to get the materials that he needed. And he set the king a time. And he comes back and at night he goes out by himself and he assesses the situation. 
He had a plan that God had put in his heart, but as he gets there and he's boots on the ground and he's actually there, he rides through, through different places, actually has to get off his horse and, and walk some because his horse couldn't get through because of all the rubble. He comes back and he has a plan and he talks to the elders, the leaders of Jerusalem and of Judah, of the exiles, and he shared with them what God had put in his heart, how God had made provision with the king and that he had a passion to rebuild these walls. And the people said, let us rise up and build. And that is my desire for us. And that in our own lives and our walk with the Lord this year, we would say, let us rise up and build. Let's grow and strengthen spiritually in our marriages. Let us rise up and build. Let us strengthen the walls uh, even of our home and of our families. And let's grow as a church and let's build the kingdom of God. So it's three questions that I have for us this morning that I want us to consider. The first one is this, what should we be building? And the first answer to that is we should be building the walls of the kingdom of God in the Atlanta area. Our part of the wall means reaching communities such as Lilburn, Snellville, Lawrenceville, Loganville, Stone Mountain, Grace and Tucker, and Monroe. That's just a few. Just in those, those, count, uh, those cities that I named, those townships, there are more than 150,000 people. Now, we're not the only independent Bible preaching church in this area or in those communities. But we need to be building, as Berean Baptist Church, our part in the wall in this area of the kingdom of God. William Carey, pioneer missionary to India, said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. If you think just coming to church and singing some songs and putting some money in the offering plate and a few people doing some maintenance work around here is what's going to build the kingdom of God, then you're sadly mistaken because the kingdom of God doesn't just grow by osmosis. Amen. The kingdom of God doesn't happen by accident. I believe it, it was Jim Burgess said, strong Christian homes built out of strong Christians. Strong Christians don't happen by accident. And folks, we are going to see God build this church. And I'm not talking about doing this for Berean Baptist Church's glory and benefit. I'm talking about doing this for the glory of God and for the expanding of his eternal kingdom. This is not a temporal vision to build some empire of some entity. We are talking about building the kingdom of God and doing our part of building the wall in our area alongside other gospel preaching, disciple making churches in our area, but reaching our community for the, for, the, for the sake of the kingdom. And that's more than just giving the gospel. It is also then discipling believers and equipping them and grounding them in solid doctrine and have the passion for us to do that. It is my burden that we build the walls of our spiritual lives, of our families, and of our church in 2024 with a renewed vision and vigor. So what are some of the things that we need to build besides this general idea of building the kingdom of God in the Atlanta area? Let's start with our own personal lives. A closer personal walk with God that results in more Christ-likeness of character and lifestyle. I had Pastor Wyman read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to these verses in verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Paul's talking about build your life as a Christian. And it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundational thing. The foundation for your life. The foundation for eternity is Jesus Christ. He is the perfect sinless son of God. Eternal God. He shared glory, equal glory with the Father in heaven. And in the fullness of time, the Father sent forth the Son to be born of the Virgin Mary. 
and eternal God the Son took on human flesh. And as the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and shed his blood in satisfaction of the righteous demands of God's holiness on our behalf. He drank fully the wrath of God for our sin. He took that sin upon himself and he died as the perfect spotless lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He was buried and three days later because he is God, he resurrected. Jesus said in John 10, no man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. Jesus Christ is the prince of life. He is the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. And he arose. And the foundational thing that you need to understand is that you need to believe that and own that truth in your soul and reach out to Jesus in a personal way. And the Bible says, for with a, mouth, for with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, Pastor Todd, what does it look or sound like to call on the name of the Lord for salvation? Let me just kind of show you an example prayer. Again, it is not some magical incantation that if you just say the words, something mysterious happens. But rather, it is an expression of personal trust from your soul to God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And you simply call on him and ask him to do what he has promised to do. You see, the Bible says in John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that he could be righteous and sending people to hell who rebel against him. No, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here's what that looks like. It's like it, it looks like this. Dear Jesus, you are the eternal son of God. You died on the cross for my sin because I am a sinner and I've broken your law and I deserve eternal death in hell. But I know that you love me. I know you died and you shed your blood to cleanse me from my sin and to forgive me. Lord, I know you're the only hope of eternal life. And I'm asking you, would you please forgive me and cleanse me from my sin? Would you give me everlasting life? Thank you for saving my soul. And in a simple prayer like that, that you own in your soul and is a personal trust expressed in Christ, the Bible promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the foundation. But once we've laid that foundation, Paul goes on, he says, hey, every man needs to take heed how he builds on that foundation. You can build gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Folks, we need to be daily building a solid relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, how am I supposed to build the kingdom of God and how am I to share the love of Christ with others? How am I to disciple, edify, encourage, exhort, and confront brothers and sisters in Christ to have ministry with them to build the kingdom of God if I don't have a strong, solid spiritual life myself? If you've ever flown commercially, have you paid attention to the safety instructions that the steward or stewardess is giving before the plane backs away from the gate? And they talk about all different things about buckling your seatbelt and where the escape hatches are and all that kind of stuff. But one of the important instructions that they give is if the plane, if the cabin should suddenly become depressurized, what? A mask will drop out of the ceiling. Now there's a very important instruction that comes right after that. What is it? Put your own mask on first before attempting to assist other passengers. Why? Because you only have a few seconds before you lose consciousness and then you're no good to anybody. So get your own mask on first. And the same thing spiritually. Hey, listen, folks, have you breathed 
the breath, the, the air of heaven in the garden as you talk and you walk with Jesus Christ, as you pray, as the Spirit of God speaks to you through the Word of God, you have a daily time where you get with God, where you fellowship with Jesus Christ, where your soul is fed in the Word of God and the Spirit of God does a transforming work in your heart. I'm not talking about a Disney experience where you float six inches off the ground and there's sparkly things and light all around you in this ethereal music. I'm not talking about some mystical experience, but I'm talking about day by day. Just like a child eats their oatmeal and takes their vitamins and has to eat their vegetables. And you don't see a lot of growth day by day, but over time you see growth, you see health, you see strength, you see development, you see maturity. All of that comes, and not every day is it an amazing experience. It's kind of amazing for the kids, you know, when the guys, their pants are up here, and oh, wow, look, I grew another three inches. I think I need some new pants, Mom, you know. And that's kind of an exciting thing, but it's not every day like that. But as you walk through this life, hey, let me ask you this. If you thought back Maybe at the end of 2023 or maybe this last week and you've thought back, how did God grow me this year? How did God change me? Folks, again, this doesn't happen by accident. This happens when you seek after God. The wonderful promise is those that seek me early or earnestly or as top priority, those that seek me early shall find me. The wonderful promise in James chapter 4 is draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Are you building solid your own spiritual life we need to be building a closer personal walk with god that results in more christ likeness of character and lifestyle then next we need to build christ-centered marriages and christ-focused families that serve god as a team godly marriages don't happen by accident folks we need to work on it and we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge where God needs to change us. And we need to make ourselves servants to our spouses. And we need to love them and serve them sacrificially. And we need to invest in them spiritually. And then with our families, we need to invest in discipling our children. You want good practice at being a discipler? <laughs> Disciple your children. Minister to their needs. Encourage them. In Deuteronomy... God says to the parents in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall teach them diligently your children. You're supposed to talk of them when you're sitting down, when you're in the way, while you're walking, when you lie down, when you rise up, through all of the different things in life. Are you helping your children to begin to assimilate the word of God in their daily lives? For when you see something or you have to do something, hey, maybe it's you're doing your chores. And the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. So that means heartily, it means with my heart, it means with a joyful heart, and it means to do it enthusiastically and do my best. Whether it's setting the table or mopping a floor or taking out the trash or raking the leaves or mowing the yard or whatever it is that you're doing, laundry or whatever. Hey, listen, you know, God wants our character to be that whether anybody's watching or not. We're doing this not just so that we don't get in trouble or just so that our boss uh, is pleased and we can get by with a certain amount and still keep our jobs and get paid. No, we're doing this not with eye services, men pleasers, but we're doing this unto the Lord. We're doing the will of God from the heart. We need to build Christ-centered marriages and Christ-focused families that serve God as a team. We also need to build the defenses, defenses against sin's enticement. This is not only in our own personal lives, but exercising vigilance in our homes. Technology is not evil. It is a tool. Much good comes through technology, but much evil can infiltrate our hearts and minds through technology. 
And so parents, you need to build the walls of defenses. And if you'd say, what are some practical, balanced ways that I can do that in a way that's pleasing to God? What are some practical helps? See Troy Thompson. He's taught a whole series on it. And he can help you with that. Because you say, I want to protect my family. I want to protect my children. Now certainly, a wicked heart will always find sin. I understand that. But we ought to make it as difficult for our children to get into sin as possible. And we need to have protections in our homes. And we need to have defenses in our own lives where we are prepared. The Bible says, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. We need to be prepared. We're going to be tempted. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. We're supposed to take on the whole armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, so that having done all, we can stand. We know that Satan's going to throw those fiery darts. We need to take the shield of faith, and then we need to fight him off with the sword of the Spirit, all empowered by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We also need to build the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says we are to edify one another. That means to support or to build up. And we are to exhort one another, which means to spiritually challenge and encourage. The Bible even says in Galatians chapter 6, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. And it's talking about loving confrontation. We are to make disciples, Matthew 28. So it's not only in witnessing, but we're also to then, once somebody's trusted Christ as their Savior, we are to disciple them. Folks, the only disciples in this church should not be me and the other pastors. You should be discipling your children within your home, but you should be seeking to disciple somebody and looking and praying that God would give you an opportunity to invest in somebody's life who is a believer and to disciple them. And if God, by his grace this year, allows you the wonderful privilege of leading somebody to faith in Jesus Christ, just plan on discipling them. That ought to be your responsibility. We're to build the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes that looks like writing notes of encouragements. Man, I remember the Baloo's. Those of you that remember the blues, I mean, at Christmas, uh, anniversaries, birthdays, if they knew that you were struggling with something, going through something, death in the family, whatever, man, their whole ministry was nothing but writing notes. Now, I don't know what, if they were able to do that as much before they retired, but I know during their retirement years, they spent hours every day writing notes. You say, yeah, but we got emails and texts. I know, but don't you like getting a personal handwritten something in the mail with your name handwritten on it and there's a stamp there? And you, get to, and you get to receive that mail and you open it up or you come to the church uh, mail center and somebody has a note of encouragement there for you. Or somebody's struggling with something and you're able to serve them or you're able to help meet a financial need and it helps build the faith of that brother or sister in Christ. We need to build relational bridges for the sake of sharing the gospel. Yes, folks, we should carry gospel tracts and hand those out. We should strike up conversations like talking to a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant and saying, hey, you know, we're going to pray in a few minutes uh, for our food. Is there anything that we can pray about with you? Sometimes it's just like, uh, like when the pastors, we went out for a book breakfast on Monday and we do this, we're studying through a book. We went out for breakfast and our waitress said, well, uh, basically just pray for good health and pray for my son. And so there wasn't a whole lot there, but we did pray for her. Uh, we prayed for Brandy. And you know what? We... There are other times, though, when people will tell you things, and you say, man, I didn't know. I mean, you could never tell that he or she was going through something like that. And to be able to pray for them, and to be able to leave a generous tip in a gospel tract and an invitation to church, or even come more of a conversation. Uh, we, we ought to be doing those things. But you know what? There are people next door to you, across the street from you, or at your work, or in your community. Or maybe there's a store that you frequent. Now, there's a couple of stores that my wife and I frequent, and there are individuals that we have been targeting, some of them for six years now, 
where we're just building a relationship and trying to show the love of Christ and get to know them to build a relational bridge for the sake of the gospel. Let me encourage you to be purposeful in doing that. And then we need to be building the kingdom of God around the world through giving to our missionaries and going on mission trips. Let me encourage you, if you've never been on a mission trip, um, there will probably be a couple that will, that will be taken to IBBI. You can talk to Chuck Clute about that. Hey, listen, are there any of those mission trips that are going on uh, this year? Maybe when we take some of our international trips, uh, of course, we'll announce that in plenty of time in advance, but it is worth your commitment of time and finances and effort to go on a mission trip. I promise you it will change your life if you go on a mission trip. And if for whatever reason you're not able to go, you can certainly be praying for our missionaries and you can be giving towards our missionaries. We're building the kingdom of God, not just in our area, but around the world. Now look back with me, if you would, again, in, if you would, at Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. Look at this. The Bible says, So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Now, what that means is that within Jerusalem, all the way around Jerusalem, the walls were rebuilt, but halfway high. So if they were going to be 60 feet high, they were 30 feet high at this time. We built it under the half thereof. It was halfway up. So it wasn't complete, but it was up and it was all the way around. The gates still were not on. They were not set. But it went up quick, but it went up well. Folks, we ought, according to Romans chapter 12, we ought to not be slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. These people had a mind to work. Now, I want to preference what I'm about to say, because my second question is, what does having a mind to work look like? But the Bible tells us that unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that buildeth. Folks, we understand the words of Christ in John 15, 5, when he said, for without me, ye can do nothing. Everything that we do here to try to build the kingdom of God, we need to bathe it in prayer and walk in an absolute, utter dependence upon the Spirit of God. And we need to beg God in His grace to give us what we don't have in ourselves. And to, like William Carey said, step out by faith and attempt great things for God. And why can we step out by faith to attempt great things for God? Because by faith we expect great things from God. As I was studying through this passage, I didn't write it down here, but one of the commentators said, most Christians underestimate the extent to which God can use them. Their vision is too small. Folks, God can use little old me, and he can use little old you in incredible ways because that's how the supernatural power of his grace works. But understand that God must build the house. We are cooperating with God's work. Without Christ, we can do nothing. We understand that. But what does it mean to have a mind to work? What does that look like? It means, first of all, persistence to overcome difficulties and setbacks. The people had setbacks. There were times when they were uh, when, when they were told, hey, you got to stop building because they went to certain officials and tried to get the order stopped. And they said, we're going to go to these officials and until they make a decision, you need to stop. And Nehemiah reaches in and he says, I just have signed by the king this order to all the governors on the other side of the river. You can go ahead, but they have copies of this order. And we have Artaxerxes' permission to be rebuilding these walls of Jerusalem, so that won't do you any good. 
But they didn't stop because there was that opposition, because there were difficulties, because there were obstacles. Stop and think about this. These people were not all of them contractors or, or, or construction masters. And think about this. I mean, these were not little stones like this that you put like in those. Have you ever gone through Pennsylvania? Have you seen those old stone walls? Man, my imagination runs wild because some of those are back from the Civil War era and maybe even back Revolutionary War, even before that. You know, these old stone walls that just kind of still run through the woods. We're not talking about stacking up stones like that. We're talking about blocks, big blocks that weigh tons. How do you get several ton blocks 15, 20 feet up in the air and then get it set in? And I mean, and within a certain time that if you have mortar in between them, that the mortar sets just right and you have things in plumb and you have things level. And yet, you know, as you're building a wall that big, it's not just straight up like this. It's actually broader at the base and then it narrows towards the top. And you have to have all those calculations and figure all that out. And each of them only had a part of the wall, but they each had parts of the wall. And these, these, they had some material right there. Uh, some, of the, some of the block would have still been there, but some of it would have been, had to been repaired. They had to bring in other blocks and other material. There were difficulties they had overcome. There were setbacks that they had, they had to overcome. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say the test of your character is what it takes to stop you. Some of you may have made a New Year's resolution to hand out a gospel tract, one gospel tract every week or to be in the Bible for 15 minutes every day or to send at least one encouraging note to another believer or something else like that. How long is it going to last? The test of your character is what it takes to stop you. What happens when somebody tears up a track and throws it down in your face? Are you going to quit? What happens when all of a sudden you've made a financial commitment to some aspect of the ministry here or to one of our missionaries and on all of a sudden you get a pay cut or your business isn't doing as well as it was and you face difficulties and setbacks? What are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Or are you going to, by faith, keep on working and keep building the wall just like Nehemiah and his crew. Persistence to overcome difficulties and setbacks. Number two, undistracted determination to finish the job. Sam Ballant and Tobiah sent notes to Nehemiah. They said, hey, come meet us in the plain of Ono. We got to talk things over with you. Let's work out a compromise. And Nehemiah said, oh no, to the plain of Ono. He said, oh no, I can't leave the work. And there was another time a guy posed as his friend and said, Hey, Nehemiah, I understand that there is a plot to assassinate you. Listen, why don't you go into the temple of God, shut and lock the doors. So they'll never look for you there. They wouldn't dare enter into that holy place and you'll be safe. And Nehemiah said, should such a man as I hide? He knew that this was just an underhanded plot to undermine his authority and to discredit him as a coward. The people were distracted at times because they were mocked. They were threatened. They were talking about before the walls were joined up that, that the enemy had 10 different ways where they could sneak in. And they were saying things like that. Man, there's so many different ways. You, low, you bear, burden bearers who are bringing in the materials, when you come through and you weave through all the rubble, there's going to be places we can jump out and attack you from 10 different ways. And they were trying to intimidate them. But there was a focused... Undistracted, undistracted determination to finish the job. And then there was the courage to face criticism and intimidating threats. Tobias said, hey, even if a little fox jumped up on their wall, it'd fall right down. He mocked them. They threatened constantly. And then they also exercised vigilance while continuing to work. They realized that some of these threats were real. They realized that there was a conspiracy 
to join from north, south, east, and west to come and try to attack Jerusalem and undo what had been done. And so half of the men stood by with weapons and the other half did the work. And then some of the builders worked while they had a sword girded by their side. Maybe they had a spear leaning up by part of the wall where they were working, where they could readily get to it. Matter of fact, Nehemiah even had guys that were with him to sound the trumpet because he says, the work we're doing is great. It's a big area we're trying to cover. And there's only a few of us exiles. You know, uh, when you look at ratios, it's just a few of us uh, compared to the size of the city. So wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, Come and everybody come and bring your weapons. There's going to be a fight and we need you to help us to fight to protect this particular part in the wall. So they had a plan, but they did not allow that to stop them from working. They exercised vigilance while they continued to work. And folks, while we are laboring for the kingdom, we need to understand that we're going to face persecution. We're going to come under satanic attack. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to be mocked at times. The world doesn't understand what we're doing. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. How can an unsaved mind who is spiritually dead to the things of God understand what we who are spiritually alive and supernaturally transformed are doing and why we're doing it? And so we continue to love them with the love of Christ and reach out to them and to, to love our enemies. But we exercise vigilance against the dangers. We exercise vigilance against false doctrine. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to get into an ecumenical movement or compromise truth uh, for the sake of trying to expand our ministry. We need to exercise vigilance that we are being uncompromising with the truth of God's word and a biblical stance in our position. And then participation by everyone. Everyone is giving it their best. That's teamwork. I think there's an author, Krista would know, I think I would probably know, is it Silverstein, the one who wrote If, Every, if Everybody Did? Something like that. There, there's this little kid's book that we'd read to our kids. Some of you recognize that book, If Everybody Did? You know, so if everybody threw their garbage out on the ground, you know, what would that look like? If everybody, you know, pulled a little bit of fur out of the cat, you know, what would that, what would that poor cat look like if everybody did? And the whole idea is there's a lot of negative things. If everybody did, this world would be a wreck. We couldn't get anything accomplished. I mean, garbage would be piled to the sky if everybody did. But then at the end of these little books, there's positive. But if everybody picked up trash they saw on the ground, if everybody put away their own clothes, if everybody, you know, pet the cat instead of pulled out the fur, you know, I don't know. I'm sure that's not in the book. All right. But uh, just whatever, you know. But if everybody did the positive things, look what we could accomplish. And folks, it is true. Many hands make light work. It is also true that every one of us are a vital part of the body. You understand that even if you get a paper cut on your little, on your pinky finger, what that feels like and how that even debilitates you a little bit. Maybe you've lost part of one of your fingers or you've lost an entire finger and you've had to adapt to that. That just that one little body part makes a huge difference. Different things in our body. And many of us have been going through sicknesses and, and things like that recently. And, you know, we appreciate, it helps us to appreciate more the good health that God has given us to enjoy to this point. But the idea is that if, if all of us will work together just like the body is supposed to work together in coordination, we the body of Christ come together and if everybody does their part, we'll go somewhere for God this year. We'll rebuild the walls of God's kingdom here in the Atlanta area. If you've ever been watching uh, football or baseball or something like that, right? And you've been watching 
And it's been a really exciting game, an engaged game. And then all of a sudden, you know, the commercial comes on and, and you say, oh, I need to hop up and get a snack or run to the restroom. And you hop up, but your leg's gone to sleep. I mean, the whole rest of your body, this leg is fine. The whole rest of your body is fine. Okay. But this leg's gone to sleep. Does that not slow you down from getting to the bathroom or getting to the kitchen to get the snack and come back? I mean, you're pounding that leg and trying to get the blood moving and you're kind of hobbling and doing all this kind of funny stuff, right? Well, it's just one leg, right? You still got a perfectly good leg. What's the problem? Oh, folks, because that leg, because it's, quote, gone to sleep, is hindering the rest of the body from moving. And I want to tell you, you are important to this local ministry and you are important to the kingdom of God wherever he puts you on the wall, whether it's at Berean in our portion of the wall or somewhere else. But I'm talking about at Berean Baptist Church and setting our vision for the people had a mind to work. And that's what having a mind to work looks like. Back in May of 1940, FDR, our president, called for the production of 185,000 airplanes, 120,000 tanks, 55,000 anti-aircraft guns, and 18 million tons of merchant shipping in two years. Adolf Hitler was told by his advisors that this was American propaganda. No way this could happen. They were just puffing themselves up to scare people. Because in 1939, the annual aircraft production of the U.S. military was less than 3,000 planes. So in 1939, they produced less than 3,000 military aircraft. Roosevelt says, in the next two years, I want us to produce 185,000. Yeah, right. How's that going to happen, right? By the end of the war, U.S. factories had produced 300,000 airplanes. But 1944 had produced two-thirds of all the Allied military equipment used in the war. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. On December 7th, 1941, Japan awakened the sleeping giant. And we got our industrial power to work for a cause because there was a war we had to win. And it wasn't just in the factories, folks. There were paper drives, rubber drives, aluminum drives to gather material to be recycled for the war effort. People had to buy groceries and other items using ration cards. Why? Because there was a war going on that we had to win. And folks, we are in spiritual warfare. We should be motivated to work hard to build Christ's kingdom. Our time is short. The opportunities are great. And we have the privilege to partner with God in this great eternal endeavor. So what should we be building at Berean Baptist Church? We should be building a lighthouse to shine the gospel message. We are to, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus said in Matthew 5 to us, his disciples, ye are the light of the world. We need to be building a lighthouse to shine the gospel message. We also need to be building a spiritual hospital for Christians who have been wounded in spiritual warfare. Folks, some have been wounded by falling into sin. And you know, instead of kicking them when we're down, they're down and, and shunning them as if they have some incurable and highly contagious disease, we need to, with love, reach out to them and offer hope. Yeah, we have to confront. No, we will never condone their sin or agree with their wrong choices. But we will love them with the truth back into fellowship with Christ. And we will help them to heal. We may have some people come this year that have been wounded by other ministries. They've been hurt. 
They've been abused, neglected, overworked, whatever. And they're going to come here, and we need just to love them and to help them to recover. They've been burned, and they need to be in a spiritual burn unit for a while. And there are others that have just been wounded by lives, and, and it's taking a toll on them spiritually. And Berean Baptist Church needs to be a spiritual hospital that offers hope and help. We need to be a haven of rest and hope for the weary and the discouraged. Have you looked around our world recently? We have a world that is weary and without hope. We have the confident expectation of God's goodness, and we ought to offer that hope. We need to build a haven of rest and hope for the weary and discouraged. And then we also need to build a temple of worship where we offer sacrifices of praise and service. And that's what Berean Baptist Church needs to be. We need to be that place. We know that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we need to be worshiping God as a living sacrifice. Every day our lives ought to be a constant worship before the Lord. But as we come corporately here, we need to be a place where people come and understand what it means to worship, not be entertained. What it means to hear the word of God and not just man's ideas or philosophies. Where they don't just leave feeling that good because they had some sort of an experience with God or got hyped up on some music. But where the word of God has been faithfully proclaimed, where the music has been in an excellent but in a Christ-honoring conservative way that speaks to the needs of man's soul has been ministered and God does a work, we need to be a temple where God is honored and feared and worshiped and praised and glorified. And then we need to build a hall of fellowship for the mutual encouragement of believers. A place where we can come and encourage one another and share what God's doing in our lives and, and ask uh, for, for prayer requests and, and even just kind of getting aside somewhere in a corner and, and just after that conversation, having a word of prayer with that person to encourage them. And, uh, or whether we're having our, our, our summer cafes, which we'll have this coming summer on Sunday, uh, one Sunday night, once a month, back in the fellowship hall. Times of fellowship and, and other times when we get together for fellowship, for mutual encouragement. We need to build a hall of fellowship. And then a boot camp. We need to boot, build a boot camp for the training and equipping of Christ soldiers, servants, and leaders. This place needs to be not just an educational institution. It needs to be a hands-on training ground. Yeah, we need to be a kind of like a, a, a school of higher learning where there is deep theology that is taught, where people can get a grasp on the scriptures and go as deep into the scriptures as they need. But we also need to be able to help feed those who are babes in Christ who are not yet ready for the meat of the word. They still need the milk of the word. And we need to be able to minister to them as well. Uh, we need to, to be able to uh, not just be that, but also kind of like a trade school where it's a hands-on training and certification where we're teaching people how to serve and how to live, and how to make decisions. And a lot of that comes through discipleship uh, or maybe when we go canvassing or we go soul winning or, or we're doing some other ministry and just training and helping some of the ladies maybe that will get involved with the Embrace Grace ministry. And they say, hey, I've never done that before, but I have a heart for this ministry. I'd like to help. I'd like to learn. And, and some of the other ladies bring them alongside and work with them and help them and equip them for a minute. We need to be a boot camp, training and equipping Christ, soldiers, servants, and leaders. We want to train leaders around here. A lot of churches do well at soul winning or discipleship, sometimes both. But rare is the church that trains leadership. And I praise the Lord for Pastor Sweat's vision for that 
and for his ongoing uh, investment in training leadership. And we sometimes will recruit some of our men and they'll gather for 12 Wednesday nights in a row while we're having prayer meeting up here and they'll go through training in spiritual leadership to affect their marriages, their families, their businesses, and their church and their world. And so we want to train leaders. Sometimes, though, what God does is then once God trains those leaders, he takes them to another church that is lacking leadership. And if that's part of how we invest in the kingdom of God, so be it. But we ought always be training leaders, servants, soldiers in Christ's army. And then last of all is we need to build a citadel of faith where the truth is always faithfully proclaimed and defended. Folks, there is so much temptation to go easy on the gospel message. There are temptations in our world that we should not be as dogmatic and as firm in what we proclaim. But folks, we're going to be a citadel of the faith. We are not going to succumb to philosophy. The Bible warns us in Colossians 2, beware lest any man spoil you. That means to make a spoil of war through the philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. And folks, we're not going to allow the pressures of our culture to cause us to compromise or back down from where we stand. We'll be a citadel of faith. So when people come here to hear preaching, they know and can be confident they're going to hear the truth taught in Sunday school or in children's church or in this auditorium when we have services here. We need to be a citadel of the faith where the truth is always faithfully proclaimed and defended. Now look, with you, if you would, with me, Nehemiah chapter 6. And look at this in verse 15. The Bible says, So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Ilu in 50 and 2 days. What had not happened in over 100 years was accomplished in 52 days. I pray that we come to the end of 2024, unless Christ comes back in the rapture, and if he interrupts what we're doing in the rapture, praise the Lord. He'll find us faithfully serving him and growing, building our lives, building our marriages, building our families, and building our part of the wall here in the kingdom of God in the Atlanta area and helping to build in missions around the world. Praise the Lord if he, if he comes back in 2024. I would love that. But if not, May we be found faithful stewards at the end of 2024 where we can look back and we can actually say and see we built the wall. Now our job will never be finished until Christ returns for us. But we can look through 2024 and say we did what God purposed for us to do. We built that portion of the wall this year. Next year God's going to give us another portion of the wall maybe or another city, quote unquote, to build, another citadel. Maybe we're going to expand the walls of the kingdom further out. But we did what God called us to do this year. The people built the wall. It was accomplished. Then look at this, and this is vitally important. Look at verse 16. And it came to pass that when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, that they were much cast down in their own eyes. Get this, for they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. I want us to be able to see at the end of this year the great things that God has done and say, God did it. We cooperated with him, but God did the work. This is not about, wow, look at that amazing leadership of that pastoral staff and the deacons at Marine Baptist Church. Hogwash. It's not about that. It's not about, wow, look at those busy beavers at Berean Baptist. It's not about that either. It's about God's the one who did the work. God's the one who must enable us. Unless, we, unless the Lord builds this house, we labor in vain. But if we work in cooperation with God, when we recognize, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. 
But Lord, in the power of your grace, and the power of Christ rests upon us, we can glory in our weakness where you make us supernaturally strong, where we can pull down the strongholds of the enemy and build up the walls of the kingdom of God. Would you join us in doing that? Shall we pray? Our invitation this morning will not be a moving response like walking to the back of the auditorium to get counsel. The, the invitation is for you right now in your heart to respond. Would you right now allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate how strong are the walls in your own spiritual life? Are there some areas of neglect where the walls have crumbled? Where the mortar is loosened to stone and it needs to be fixed? How about in your marriage and in your family? Are there things that you've allowed through neglect, weeds of carnality that are splitting apart and there's cracks in the wall and stones are starting to tumble in your spiritual life? Folks, if we're going to build the kingdom of God, part of that is, is us being built in our own relationship with Christ, built in our marriages and built in our families. And then let me ask you to allow the Spirit of God to evaluate what are you doing to build the wall here at Berean? In this section of the wall, what are you doing? How are you contributing? How are you serving? And is what you're doing what God wants you to do? And is it all that God wants you to do? And if you say, Pastor Todd, God convicted me this morning. I'm not doing much of anything at all here at Berean Baptist Church for the kingdom of God. But God stirred my heart. I need to. Then would you make that commitment to him? Just tell that to him. And then come back tonight because at 530, I'm going to be preaching a message on the practical application of this, opportunities for you and how you can get involved serving here at Berean Baptist Church. I'm going to lay out some of the events that are going to be happening that you can get involved in and some of the different ministries where you can be involved, whether on a regular basis or on a weekly basis, and even some of the physical needs of things we're going to need to do around here that God may just burden your heart to take up that cause and be a part of that. And so let me encourage you, if you can't even, if you can't attend tonight for some reason, you're providentially hindered, you can at least go back and watch it on live stream. But please prayerfully consider that. Let God do a work in your heart. I'll pray, and then our pianist is just going to play a stanza of our invitation song while you pray and do business with God. And then we'll dismiss after some announcements and a closing hymn. Our Father, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Maybe, Lord, we've been so busy building our bank accounts and our homes and our properties and our reputation and our status and our bucket list or our cushions of comfort that we're like the people that Haggai preached to when he said, it's time for you who dwell in your sealed houses to get busy rebuilding the temple. It still is not finished. And Lord, I thank you for those who are faithfully working. They're working on the wall. They're being diligent. They're doing all that they can do. And I thank you for such faithful, godly folks at Berean Baptist Church who serve in so many different aspects, not just in this ministry, but in others as well. And Lord, I'm sure they would appreciate very much more folks coming alongside and working with them, how that would encourage them, how that would help them, how that would advance the work of your kingdom. Lord, maybe there's somebody here who's not laid the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And before they leave here today, Lord, would they seek me out or some, uh, somebody who could take the word of God and show them the way of salvation from the scriptures. 
so that their sins can be forgiven, so that they can know that their eternity is settled forever with you. And then their life can be transformed and be built into something new and beautiful and meaningful. With our heads bowed, our pianist now begins to play our hymn of invitation. Would you do business with the Lord? Thank you.